and welcome to Couple of Idiots, your daily episode-by-episode episode podcast where we discuss the show Supernatural. I am your host, and with me as always... Well, first you didn't say who you are. You're Dan, and I'm his wife, Penny. He just said, I am your host. <laughs> well, to tell you the truth, I was distracted. It sounded like there was an ice cream truck outside. What was that bell about? I don't know, but I heard the bell, too. I, to me, it reminded me like an old-timey dinner bell. Supper's ready, come and get it. Like something like Granny would clang on a Yeah, it was like hobbies. a triangle or something. I thought I was doing so good on that intro, and then I was like, what is that bell? Well, then, of course, Harley had to bark at it, but she quickly decided to stop barking. We'll it. never get a good clean opening. Nope. Because we got puppies, and we're doing this straight to recording and not doing any editing. So live to tape. Live to tape, yep. Not doing any editing, so what you hear is what's going on around here. So, we talked yesterday about Roadhouse a little bit, and then we watched Roadhouse last night. Do we want to give our listeners a quick, our thoughts about it at all? Swayze's in it. He gets hired to clean up the double deuce. There's a lot of fights. A lot of fights, a lot of dying, lots of, lots of explosions. And then in the end, Swayze wins. Of course. <coughs> what do you think of the movie? Do you think it's an honest representation of a roadhouse? No, I do not. <laughs> like, wow, what kind of crazy bar is that where they got to put up chicken fence around the band? And the, and the, and the guitar player of the band is blind, <laughs> and they're throwing, like, bottles of beer at him. That's horrible. I do not feel that that was a realistic representation whatsoever. Yeah, we'll never get to the bottom of what this roadhouse is. <laughs> <laughs> not with a Swayze movie. <laughs> Hey, Swayze always gets the pass. <laughs> All right. So we watched, uh, this is season two, episode seven, The Usual Suspects. Now we... <laughs> Jesus. It just sounded like the furniture fell apart. And it's just a dog and her long, stupid nails. Uh, just to give a quick recap of the recap, this recap was all about Dean's fake death and uh, the murder he, w- he had pinned on him. So we knew that the entire episode is going to be pretty heavy on that, right? Right. It was when it was uh, season one, episode six, I believe, Skin, where the shapeshifter looked like Dean when it was shot, when it was killed, and therefore that made Dean officially dead. So, yes, we knew that that was going to come back in this episode in some manner, shape, or form. So in the opening scene, we see a cop. He gets a fax, and he's like, you know, I got to go. You can just see it in his eyes. Something important's happening. Uh, then we see, um, like, uh, cops in um, breaking into a hotel room. <laughs> they're, like, in their riot gear, like they're going to storm a room. And they do. Sam's in the hotel, and Dean is getting sweated by detectives someplace. Yeah, Dean is already in custody, and the police break down the hotel door to bring Sam in. Also, at this point, we're assuming to bring him into for custody. Jesus, bring Sorry. him in for to custody. <laughs> for to custody. <laughs> it's kind of late, folks. We're much, much later than we should be because someone had to actually work today and then take a nap. So I'm kind of tired, and I apologize for not being able to speak English properly. But anyway, yes. All right. Well, Dean is in whole is being held on murder. There's a male cop uh, talking to him. There's a female cop then talking to Sam. 
and uh, goes and like tells Sam all about himself to prove like, hey, don't try to hide anything from me, Mister. I know all the details. I know your shenanigans. Yep, knows all about their family and everything. I mean, the fires and the backstory. She knows it all. And uh, Dean just sticks to sticks to the, his original story. Hey, I uh, my going having a hard time with my girlfriend uh, being burned up in a fire, and me and my brother are on a road trip. Yeah, we're just on a road trip, kind of letting me work things out. And so she doesn't seem like she really believes him. But. No, she doesn't believe him at all, and it's very clear. Dean is the bad guy in all of this. Uh, you know, you can you can spill your guts. You can tell a story. You can move on with your life. Dean is the bad guy. You don't have to worry about it. I mean, very naive. She has no idea that these guys are hunters or into spooky things, I don't think. No, and she actually thinks she's going to get Sam to flip on Dean. But she also did mention that they are going to... <clears throat> See how Dean so famously um, faked his own death. They're going to exhume the body in St. Louis to see what that was all about. So that was the first reference to the the shapeshifter case. Uh, we go to a flashback. This gets a little confusing to explain because uh, then we see a flashback. Sam is explaining to the female detective or cop, whatever it is. Um, that Dean finds a case, I think, and says that they wanted to go confirm some info. Okay, first of all, there's no way Dean could have killed his victim because they weren't even in town then. That's when they go to the flashback where, um... Yeah, so how many victims are there? I was very confused with how is there a string of murders that's pinned on them. Uh, well, the murders, the the murders in St. Louis is what they're trying to pin on him. Okay. Plus, then, yeah, these murders, uh, the the Tony and Karen Giles. But anyway, so that's when Sam's telling her, you know, we weren't even in the town time Tony Giles was killed, and that's when he says, you know, and they do the flashback. Dean was looking at the paper, mentions the the death. Um, also mentioned that he was a friend of John's in some form. Didn't really get into that too much. But what made him think it might be their case is the fact that there was no, DA, no DNA, no fingerprints, no nothing at the crime scene to point to any type of suspect. And so that's where it seems like, yeah, this does kind of sound like our thing. We should go check it out. So uh, Dean shows up and starts talking to this girl about it. Or Sam and Dean sit down and start asking her some more questions. And then Dean starts asking really weird questions, starts pressing her. Right, she wonders if uh, possibly her, it was the lady's husband that they're talking to, Sam and Dean, they're posing as insurance agents. I'm assuming supposedly for his life insurance company or whatever, but yeah, asked you know, she's noticed that he said or done anything strange or weird, and then she mentioned, well, he did have a nightmare, um, and Sam asked her to explain it, and she said, well, he said that he had a nightmare that some woman was standing at the foot of, her, of their bed, but then she was gone. And Dean says, well, can you describe the woman? And, or did he describe the woman? At this point, the lady's like, I have no idea what else to get to the case, but he said she was pale and had red eyes. So right away, they're thinking, ah, there we go. That's what we're looking for. <coughs> okay, so we go... 
back from that flashback and that female cop with the dean says that people saw them breaking into an office. The female cop was with Sam, not Dean. Sam, yep. The female cop with Sam says, hey, people saw you break into an office. Then we go into another flashback that shows Sam and Dean looking around in office and Sam finds words on a glass desk. Well, not only that, but there was a... I was so <coughs> confused. What was going on here? Well, Dean noticed on the, I don't know if it was a computer printer or whatever, the same word, you know, uh, several sheets of paper called, and the word was Dana Schultz. At least that's what they thought it was. So they thought it was a name. And then Sam noticed like some something on the desk. It was a glass desk. And he, you know, does the frost, the heavy breath. And sure enough, Dana Schultz was also written on this desk. And so they're thinking maybe this is the person who is the vengeful spirit that killed them. So they're trying to find out, you know, they're kind of looking around this guy's office, trying to find out if there's anything um, about this person. But they can't find a client by that name. Anyone who's died in that area with that name in the past 50 years, certainly not a violent death that you would, you know, get a vengeful spirit for. So while Dean is, uh, or I mean Sam is cracking the password, Dean gets bored and he want, he goes back to Karen's. Right, he wants to ask her if, uh, I don't know if Wesley wants to ask her if she has any more information or maybe if she knows who this Dana Schultz might be. Um, Karen called 911 and reported someone in the house. Yes, because while Karen was sitting there, she was, I don't know if she was reading a book or whatever, but also the lights start flickering. You know, you get that whole, oh, here's a spirit coming. And then she does think she sees someone. So she goes upstairs and locks herself in the bedroom and calls 911. And then that's when we see Dean knocking on the door. Um, he lets himself in. I should say he breaks in because he's got his little lockpick kit out. Um, walks upstairs and there is this lady dead on the floor. Yeah, you missed it. There, a point there. There was a scene where she went into the closet to grab a flashlight. Mm -hmm. She turned on the flashlight, turned around, and there was the ghoul right there behind her. Right. Yes, that's right. The spirit was right there. So Dean's at Karen's and goes in. Uh, the lights aren't working. Dean finds Karen on the floor with a slashed neck. Uh, then that's when Dean, uh, the cops bust Dean. So now we got that backstory. It's pieced together how Dean ended up in the hooskow. And another thing that I forgot to mention, not only was the electricity going wacko, but there appeared to be a fax machine in their bedroom that was going wacko, too. And this name, Dana Phillips, starts appearing on the papers coming out of that also. So, The detective uh, working with Sam goes over and talks to the detective working with Dean and says, hey, these guys' story is matching up. They're good. And... Uh, Stories of matching up, they're good. No, no, they're, they're good at uh, being crooked. Like, they think that they're lying. Right, exactly. But somehow they're matching up their stories. Um, then the female uh, detective, she's worried about a lack of evidence. And then the female detective and the male detective, uh, like the male detective, gets a glass of water and then they kiss in the hallway. What the hell? Obviously there was an office romance going on there very bizarre and i don't they don't really bring it up ever again uh they do but it's towards the end <clears throat> uh 
Um, in the meantime, well, well they fe- separately, Sam and Dean figure out that Anna Schultz is an anagram. Dana Schultz is an anagram, yes, and they're both sitting there trying to figure it out. Um, they show Dean, um, and a, he gets a court-appointed attorney that comes in. A public defender. Yeah, public defender. Quite a Which is ridiculous. Your public defender doesn't come and visit you when you're first arrested. No, there would have to be charges first, I would think. And then, not that we know how the criminal justice system works, mind you. We're just assuming that would not be correct. Uh, anyway, uh, that's when Dean asked him for a pen and a piece of paper because he's trying to figure out what this Dana Shelf says. And at this, Dean sends a note to Sam. You- yeah, has the attorney take a note to Sam? Well, first Dean called him Matlock, and then he gives a note. Yeah, gives the attorney a note says, "Hey, you need to take this to my brother and talk to him." So the attorney goes in to talk to Sam, and Sam calls him Matlock as well. And the attorney's like, well, I can tell you two are brothers. <coughs> sorry, did I get ahead of something? I'm sorry. Public defender goes and talks to Sam then, and uh, it's a note, but quickly pulled away because uh, Dean is making a confession. Dean says that they're tracking an angry spirit. He's on camera here says that they're tracking an angry spirit, and then Dean goes into his whole anagram uh, theory and says that they're looking for Ashland. Ashland Street, because when he showed the attorney the different things that he could spell with that Dana Schultz, um, he said, well, there is an Ashland Street around that's not too far from here. And so Dean thought, well, that would be a good place for Sam to start looking. Uh, at this point, then the cop, the male cop who we learned at his, his name is Pete, attacks Dean. And Dean gets locked up. Sam escapes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when Sam escapes, well, they find out Sam escapes because Diana, this is a female cop, and Pete go to the room where he was, and he's missing. And there's a piece of paper on the table that says Hilton McQueen. And this Peter's like, I don't know what that means. And she says, well, that was Steve McQueen's character in The Great Escape. So that was Dean's way of telling Sam to get out of Dodge. Yep. Um, then for the detective, the female detective, the water turns on magically for her. Well, she's in the, here she's in the bathroom. First the lights start flickering, and then, yeah, the, all the, the water, the hot water um, faucet and all the sinks in the bathrooms turn on and get the mirrors all steamy. And then she sees the ghost. Sees uh, first that Dana Schultz is written in the mirror, and, yes, then she... Notices the dead woman behind her and looks around like, ah. So she calls Dean back in for more questioning. Dean knows that she was attacked because she can see bruises on her wrist and all the other deaths had bruises on their wrists. And Dean tells her that Sam can save her. And so can either lock Sam up or he'll protect her. Yeah, and he tells her how to find Sam. Um, so let's go to the first motel in the phone book um, under Jim Rockford. That's what we do when we're separated from each other so we know how to find each other. Uh, she does go to Sam for protection. Uh, she seems a little slow to warm up to idea that there's spookiness or whatever involved. But Yes, even though she's seen the spirit, she's still kind of hesitant. I'll be about and uh, Sam, though, quickly has her combing through his uh, photos, evidence photos, 
um, for some someone that looks familiar, and she picks out someone that went missing a couple months back. Yeah, someone um, who was arrested for uh, Um, and so Sam S. will do heroin. So Sam thinks somehow that's the connection between the spirit and the police officer, even though she said she herself did not arrest this woman. Well, Sam's solution, though, let's go f dig her up because now they know who it is. Let's go dig her up, salt and burn the bones and be done with it. Uh, they go off and look around. They go off looking for the, her bones, I guess. And uh, the ghost shows up, and the ghost can't talk because its throat is slit. But she's pointing at a window, and uh, that ha says Ashland on it. Then that window is pointing light at a wall, so they assume that the corpse or whatever is hidden behind the wall. And Sam takes a sledgehammer and smashes it out and pulls the mummy out. Yeah, that's when they noticed that her wrists were bound, so that would explain why how Diana got the bruises on her wrist. And Diana also notices that she has a necklace, and she's telling Sam, oh, it's so a rare thing, and it's custom-made on so-and-so street. And Sam's like, how do you know? And she pulls out, she's got one just like it. Pete gave it to me. So now... That's the second time it was brought up because you said that Pete and her relationship was not mentioned again, but that's, you know, Pete gave her that necklace and told her it was a one of a kind, whatever. Yeah. So there's a second mention of the relationship. Well, Sam, uh, right before that, too, he said that it doesn't, that none of this makes sense. If it's a vengeful spirit, that the vengeful spirit wouldn't point out its own body. Right. They so usually he's, he's a little <laughs> hesitant on what's actually going on. Um, well... After all these clues and uh, not feeling right, they quickly put it together that this isn't a vengeful spirit. This is actually a death omen warning folks that they're going to die next. Ooh. And it looks like Pete's the bad guy. Well, first Diana is like, oh, does that mean, because I've seen her, does that mean I'm going to be next? And, you know, sounds like possibly if we don't get this stuff taken care of. But yes, it was Pete, they figure, is the bad guy. Had something to do with the death whose throat was, was slit. Well, it's uh, made, I mean, it's confirmed because then uh, Pete kidnaps Dean and uh, drives him out to the middle of the country, pulls Dean out of a truck, starts beating on Dean. Diana and Sam, Diana now, that's the name of the female detective that's been working with Sam. Diana and Sam show up just in the nick of time to prevent him from getting shot. Thank goodness that happened. Well, Di Diana and Pete, it's all hashed out. The whole drug ring is unraveled. He stole heroin, a bunch of heroin a year ago, and all the people that uh, worked this um, ring with him. Uh, they, they're all being killed off because Pete's killing them off. Right. First, Pete killed this woman. Her name was Claire. Um, and then killed the Tony Giles. He was an attorney because he laundered the money. And then killed his wife, Karen, because he assumed that she knew everything about it, too. So that's why he killed those other two people. 
Well, Diana shoots Pete. Pete drops to the ground and grabs Diana's ankles. So she drops to the ground. Pete then is spooked by the ghost, turns around. Then Diana grabs another gun and shoots Pete again. And Pete did not survive this one. Well, Diana lets the gang know that all the cases locally will be dropped, but she can't do anything for the St. Louis stuff, so she's going to turn her back and they better uh, run away. Yeah, Sam asked her, why would you do this? And she says, well, I'll just sleep better at night knowing that you two are out there doing what you do. And then as they walk away, they ask where their car is at and brag how they're going to go steal it. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. She's like, don't. It's Sam's like, don't worry, we're pretty creative or something like that. But then, as they're walking away, Dean makes the comment, you know, she was really nice for a cop. Does she look familiar to you? And Sam says, no, why? Dean's like, I don't know. I'm kind of hungry, are you? Sam's like, no. Wow, I could really go for some pea soup. <laughs> That's funny because... The actress playing the female cop is Linda Blair, who, of course, played Reagan on The Exorcist. It would have been funnier if I'd have recognized her before that. I didn't. I did not recognize that that was Linda Blair. You had to explain it to me. So I'm like, what is that dumb joke? Yeah, he didn't get that. I'm like, well, that was Linda Blair, and he's like, oh no. How, like, I how get do you it. do you recognize Linda Blair when she's in things? Well, yes, I do. Man, that is just a someone that I do not recognize. Like, well, if it was Nancy Kerrigan, I'd probably recognize. <laughs> it's been a lot of years since we've seen Nancy Kerrigan. I don't know if I would recognize her, but, well, for one thing, I've seen this before, and I always read the synopsis and the trivia and the goofs. Oh, that's um, true. You got the trivia. Uh, but, yeah, excuse me, I did know that this was, well, plus in the opening credits, it says special guest star Linda Blair. <laughs> oh, I didn't even pay attention. no. Dean, Dan missed that. I think you were writing some notes or something. I can't. Yeah, if I'd have seen special guest star Linda Blair, then I would have picked out who it was. Yes, you would have. Oh, oh wow, <laughs> that bug zapper! It only gets like one bug a day, but man, when it gets one, that sucker's it's a dead. Powerful zapping. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's it. It was uh, Reagan from The Exorcist, Linda Blair. So, do we ever see these cops again? Diana? I guess we're not going to see Pete again. No, this is the only time uh, we see Diana. We do not see her again. Well, that's a bummer. All right. Well, I'm not invested in the Linda Blair character. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, this is just kind of a ho-hum episode then, isn't it? It's a, it's one of those episodes that doesn't have anything to do with the major story arc, I believe. You know, I think on the next one of these ho-hum episodes, I'm going to sit back and not take notes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Lord help us. I could. I feel like I would have enjoyed it more. Instead, I was scribbling notes ferociously, but really, this none of this leads to anything other than they were in custody. They talked themselves out. It's called The Usual Suspects, what, just because they were in jail telling their stories? Well, it was a reference to that movie, yes, but also because of the fact that they do have records, and Dean could, you know, because we know that he didn't really commit those murders in St. Louis, but because it was pinned on him, that he would make an excellent suspect for these murders that were happening in Baltimore, too. The title has a double entendre. 
Yes, it does. One is a cultural reference, and the other is the fact that they really are suspects. That is correct. All right. Well, neat. <laughs> is there <laughs> anything else about this episode? No, that's it. Uh, one of the interesting things you did point out was the uh, special effect for when they were in the basement on that Ashland, that the light shining on the wall was reverse of what it would actually be. It was like all black with white letters, and but then on the glass, it was just black lettering on clear glass. So against the wall, it would have been all white with black letters. Yes, it would have. So that was funny. Yeah, when I first saw that, too, I was like, that looks weird. <laughs> And then that, you're like, that's reverse. I'm like, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, it makes no sense here. Well, maybe that's how they knew that, you know, that there was a body behind it. It had negative light. <gasps> Could be. Maybe it was a they, spirit. They discovered a new physics principle. Okay. Um, neat. What's our episode tomorrow? Tomorrow, episode eight, Crossroad Blues. And it takes place in greenwood mississippi in 1938 Ooh, interesting crossroad blues so um and we all know the i don't want to call it the legend the story of the crossroad demons so i'm assuming yeah, that's, that's what this has to do with that's what i'm assuming someone sold their soul so they could play a fiddle or something possibly or the guitar like an old country for or not no country for old men um <laughs> What's the one with the guy in the hair? Oh, Brother Where Art Thou. Oh, Brother Where Art Thou. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they pick up that dude. And yeah. He said he sold his soul. Yeah, sold his soul. To learn how to play the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you want to do that? Oh, I wasn't using it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a great movie. It is. I really like that movie. Okay. Uh, look us up online on Facebook. We got a group, Armchair Hunters. Come over and say hi. Uh, you can find us on all the major streaming platforms. Spotify, uh, iTunes, TuneIn, blah, blah, blah. and our website, coupleofpigeons.com. Anything else, Penny? No, nothing else this evening. We'll talk to you tomorrow.